Welcome, everyone. Good to see you. Good to see you. Good to see you. Good to see you all. Everybody up there in the stand, all up there. Good to see you all. And you guys that have joined us on, um, what have we got? We've got Facebook and we've got the live stream going through the website. So if for some reason you find a struggle with the Facebook, um, go over to the website, hopebc.org.au. Just down there, you'll see live stream. You can click on that and, um, and see the, the sermon. So welcome. And it's always a, a blessing to have even a handful of people in front of me and, um, and a real joy. So I'm looking forward to bringing this message to you this morning. We're going to be taking our reading from Romans and we're actually going to read the chapter, Romans chapter 14. The chapter itself has one particular theme and it's interesting. Paul here is dealing with a... Um, well, we've got to remember something really important right at the beginning of the church. At the beginning of the church, we had the, uh, the, the Jews who were also believers who started turning back towards, you know, making sure that they're not eating certain unclean foods and observing certain days and all that sort of thing. And that was being brought into the church. And as that was being brought into the church, it started to become a little bit of a judgment that people were having, like they were observing people that were eating things that they shouldn't be eating food offered to idols and all that sort of stuff. And they were saying, oh, you can't be doing that. That's not a right thing. Paul is addressing this and he's addressing this in a way that people would understand that um, your hope is in Christ and the salvation that is in Christ. He has secured your faith. You are, you are, you are, you are clean. You are washed. You are secured by the Lord. But people were moving on to something else. They were getting on to the idea that you still needed to you know, be careful what you eat and drink and observing certain days and all that sort of thing. Is everything okay there? Yeah, all good? All right. Uh, if there's any dramas at all for one reason or another and you have Maria's contact details, just call her. Um, don't call me though because I'm busy. All right. Let's read Romans chapter 14. Paul writes, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him that eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth, yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set thy brother at naught, uh, set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, 
that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things for he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroy not the work of God, for all uh, all things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offence. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin." Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, dear Lord, we give you thanks. We look at this passage, dear Father, before our eyes and we recognise, Lord, what it is. We see it, dear Lord, for the truth that is manifested within it. And I pray, dear Lord, that in this message this morning we'll be able to teach clearly, Father, on the aspects of this book that we are to uphold one another in faith, that we are to love one another and not to cause stumbling before each other, dear Lord. But we are to put those things that matter most first. I praise you, Father, for this time and ask you, Lord, that you would bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. I've, um, I've often spent time um, thinking about what my life might have been like had I not, had I not believed the gospel. I, I, think about, um, I think about how incredible it is and how blessed I am and how, how different my life would have been if I didn't believe the gospel, if I didn't, if I didn't turn to Christ. Um, you know, the, the gospel has transformed me completely. It's changed me completely. And, and, and like uh, a lot of people, I was heading on a trajectory that was not good. Not necessary that life would have been miserable, but certainly the end of my life, would have seen me, well, damned. Um, would have seen me damned. I, I would have found myself at the end of my life in hell and waiting for that judgment that was to come at the end of time. I would have found myself there and I would have justly found myself there because I was a servant of sin and I lived in that way. But when I believe the gospel, when I believe what Jesus has done on the cross, he saved me from that end and he saved me and he keeps that. He, if it wasn't for God through his infinite mercy who, who got a, a couple of people who shared the gospel with me at different points over a period of 13 years or more, um, it, everything could have changed. I could still be stuck in my sin. And yet at 29 years of age, I was born again. I was born new. 
God had given me his Holy Spirit as a, as a down payment, as a security of my salvation. And now I have a hope of everlasting life that I would never have had before. I know that God has secured everything in my life and everything for my life. And it was, it's the greatest blessing. It's like, it's like somebody walked into my dark room and switched on a light. And it's never going to be switched off again. That light is on and it stays on and it burns brightly because the one who made it is light himself. And, and I'm so blessed by it. And there were people in the ancient times, in the old days, and there are people even today who, who think that in abstaining from certain foods and certain drinks or, or holding on to certain days would add something to this salvation or in not abstaining uh, from certain foods or not holding to certain days or not doing certain religious traditions or anything like that, that might take away from this wonderful salvation that, I, that, that we have. And, uh, and that is simply not true. These are those things that the Bible in these passages refers to as doubtful disputations. Um, so having people that are like that, that, that think you need to hold to these things, Paul refers to them as weak in faith. These are people who are weak in faith. In other words, they're not trusting completely in the wonderful salvation work of Jesus Christ in what he has secured. So they're still trusting that you need to still attend to certain ritualistic things that are considered doubtful, doubtful disputations. And Paul refers to them that way. But Paul also notes somebody else. He also notes another group of people in this. And the other group of people are those who are strong in faith. And he speaks of them as despising, despising those that are weak. So the weak judge those who are strong because they're not abstaining from certain foods and they're not holding to certain days. But those who have the liberty, who are strong in faith, are also despising those that are weak. And as a result, they're causing them to stumble. Within their own face, they're eating foods that would cause them to offend and would upset them and, and, and give them grief. So we find that those who are grieved in this way find themselves judging those who are at liberty and those who are at liberty in this way are despising those who are weak in their faith and yet none of this should be occurring at all between them nothing will change respecting the wonderful restoration to God that they are still free from the penalty of sin so that doesn't change so whether you observe certain days or you don't observe certain days or whether you eat certain foods or don't or whether you do religious things or don't, whether, you, whether your part of your giving is 10% or 5% or 2% or 20%, it makes no difference to your salvation. You are still saved. That doesn't take anything away and it doesn't add anything to it. That's not respecting your walk in the Lord. Your walk in the Lord has reward and your growth in the Lord is vitally important because it blesses so many other people. So we're not talking about reward here. This is referring to those who are saved. Nothing adds, nothing takes away from their salvation. Paul uh, wrote about this, remembering the wonderful restoration to God that they are free from the penalty of sin because Christ having blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his 
cross in Colossians 2.14. Paul exhorts specifically against attending to these things that are referred to as doubtful disputations. They're doubtful disputations. The answer he gives to replace these tendencies in this passage is that we should be upholding one another. We need to be upholding one another. We need to have a love for one another that is beyond worrying about these little things here and there. These things are incidental. They make little difference. And all they do is take away that fellowship that we have. We need to uphold one another. And that's the title of the message this morning, Upholding One Another. We need to encourage, we need to edify each other. Paul, in this passage that we're going to be looking at, and we're only going to be really focusing on verses 6 to 9, but this portion can account for the rest of the, the chapter. Paul makes three arguments in this passage and that we should uphold one another and, and, and set aside some of those other things that might otherwise offend us. He speaks both to the weak and to the strong in faith. And he gives at least three strong reasonings on why we are to let go of such things and encourage each other, uh, no matter, no matter, no matter where we are within our walk, no matter where we are within our faith. And those three things are that all are reconciled in Christ. All are reconciled in Christ. And the other one is that all are going to be giving their their account to Christ individually. We are all accounting to Christ. And the third thing is that we are all to be upholding one another. We are all to be upholding one another. So three points, three points we're going to be looking at. All reconciled in Christ. In verse 6 in the passage, just to verse 6 and to 8 is the summary, but it's verse 9 we're going to be focusing on. He that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and the living. All things are reconciled in Christ. And this is, this, is, this is the entire purpose of all of this. All of this Christ died for. He died, he rose, he revived. It is all reconciled in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not in the things that we attend to or that we do. It is reconciled in Christ. Each one of us do all that we do unto the Lord. We do it unto the Lord. Whether, whether it be in our eating or in our observance of days and if it's, or whether it's not in our eating and not in our observance of days. We don't observe days. Paul wrote to the Corinthians regarding this very thing, respecting food and even food offered to idols. He said this in 1 Corinthians 8.8, 8, But meat, that is food, commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not, are we the worse? Okay, all you vegan vegetarians or all you, you carnivores out there and, uh, and uh, those of your, all, all your special diets, all good. Nothing to, be, nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be taken away from you. 
you do it for a matter of health and that is fine and I'm and I'm you know all credit to you but when you do it as a matter of ideology that becomes a problem that becomes a problem and Paul speaks to that there it doesn't make anything any any better neither are we any the worse whether we eat or we do not eat what we do we do unto the Lord because we are reconciled in Christ we're received by God the Bible says in Romans 14 3 so we can't be adding anything to us nor doing anything that might take away these things are doubtful disputations that's what we're referring to here one of the things we've got to recognize is that all the history of our sins both both past and future have been nailed to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ if we have believed the gospel and we are born again then everything with respect to our faith has been nailed to that cross and the Lord had died and he rose and revived that we might know that we have eternal life so attending to these things these incidental things um, isn't good for us and in this we need to be upholding each other the apostle peter writes and he says who by him do believe in god that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in god it's speaking about where our focus needs to be hebrews 12 2 says the same thing it gives us where our focus needs to be not on these incidental things but where it needs to be drawn and it begins it looking unto jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of god our focus is in christ our attention needs to be on christ it can't be on all these things it needs to be on the lord jesus christ for to this end christ both died and rose and revived that he might be lord both of the dead and of the living it's through the death and resurrection and the glory of the lord jesus christ that he is now the lord of all both the dead and the living jesus christ has the keys of death and hell and he rules over all everything is reconciled in the lord everything is reconciled in him in him we live we move we have our being he is the lord of all and it's this victory that we've got secured in him that we aren't there we don't have the freedom to offend one another and to what point to what end to what end do we despise a brother or a sister because they're eating and you decide that you're not going to eat you know to what end should we be judging another individual who's decided not to eat because we've decided that eating is not good it's not going to change their salvation it's not going to change their faith and it's not going to alter any any stand that they have everything is found in christ these things are doubtful disputations now that doesn't mean we mentioned last week it doesn't mean that everything within the bible is a doubtful disputation don't 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 misunderstand me paul here is talking about observing certain rituals okay these things are doubtful disputations can they have a benefit potentially can they not have a benefit yeah, potentially i mean it's one of those things that we can argue to and fro but it's not something that you break fellowship over you know but the bible has 26 of the 27 books of the new testament that warn against error and that tells us we need to judge the error so we've got to be really careful because we've got a modern tendency today of people saying you know we're not allowed to judge anything 
that's not exactly the context of what this is referring to. We are not to judge those things through which we make personal decisions for, you know, and those things that we make personal decisions that affect our own lives or our own walk are ours to bear. We are to exhort one another, encourage one another. We are certainly able to to contend with one another with certain things, but not 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 to not to judge or despise. Jesus has reconciled us together in Him. We are therefore to uphold each other, not to pull each other down. We are to be patient. We are to be gracious. We are to be encouraging one another with the love that the Lord Jesus has extended to us, because. He extended his love toward us when? Anybody remember when? He extended his love toward us when we were yet sinners. We were yet sinners. And he extended his love. Jesus is Lord both of the dead and of the living. So to the dead, I'm not going to comment here because they can't change anything. Right? But to the living, to the living, and only those who are living um, have the opportunity to change his or her way. Only those who are alive in the Lord Jesus can be transformed day to day into his image. To love, to forgive, to uphold everyone in Christ. One of the things that's difficult, or one of the things that's a real tragedy, is that there's far too many of us that are living as if Christ is not permitted full entrance into our lives to do his work. Far too many of us are keeping him still on the outside. We've got an outward observance of rituals, an outward observance of, of religion where we're abstaining from this and we're not doing that and we're attending to this and we're attending to that and we're, we're giving to the church and we're, doing, we're, we're ticking boxes, we're doing all the right things, it seems, on the outside. We've assented to all of these things, but the Lord does not have, even though we're his purchased possession, He's not permitted entrance into our lives. Um, we're speaking about the, the movie, which was sort of like a sermon, isn't it? The fan, not a fan, it's called. And, and I think that's, that's a great representation of this. Um, you know, there are people who are fans of the Lord, but, you know, they don't have him in them. You know, they, they, they are sent to him in one way. Mentally, they agree that all of these things are good, but within, him, within them, the Lord has not got residence there. And I'm not talking about those who are lost. I'm actually talking about those who are genuinely born again, who will not let the Lord in, even though you are his purchased possession. I came across this story when I was thinking about this. It's a story about a Korean man. He was referred to as Elder Kim. Elder Kim, his name. Kim is a Korean layman of wealth and prominence. He was elected elder in one of the Presbyterian churches in Pyongyang, the city of northern Korea. Because of his outstanding character and reputation, he was asked to address the annual meeting of the General Assembly of the Church during one of the morning devotional periods. He began modestly, reminding his hearers that he was a simple layman. He wasn't trained in a seminary or in, Bible, or in a Bible institute. He was not going to preach or attempt to teach, but he wished to put before them a great problem and he asked their advice for its solution. A year or two ago, he began, I received a letter from a friend of mine in Seoul. He was a young dentist and wanted to establish himself in Pyongyang. He asked me to find a place that would be suitable for his home and office combined. 
Now, we all know that there is a great housing shortage, but I did all I could to help him. For three days, I searched the town. Finally, I found a place and wrote to him about it. I told him that the house was in bad condition, bad condition. The wall surrounding the place was in disrepair. There was a hole in the house wall. Uh, the roof leaked very badly. The house was in a very bad neighbourhood. Next door, there was a house that was inhabited by what were called singing girls. Furthermore, the price was exorbitant. In spite of this adverse report, my friend sent me a telegram telling me to buy the house. A day or so later, I received a cheque for several thousand yen for the down payment, so I signed the papers to purchase the house. The down payment was made and the final payments were to be made in three days, at which time the owner agreed to vacate the house. The payments were made, but the owner asked for a day or two more in order to find uh, another house. I granted him this period of grace, but after a week he was still there. Two weeks, three weeks, a month, three months, six months had passed. The man who sold the house has brought new clothing for his family and they're eating polished rice instead of the cheaper grains. He knows that I'm a Christian and that in Korea we Christians never go to court against other Christians and we try not to go to court against unbelievers. He laughs at me when I come. Now, fathers, brethren, Elder Kim continued, my friend is greatly embarrassed because his capital is tied up in this house and he is in a very difficult position. What am I to do? Several of the members of the General Assembly responded. One pointed out that Elder Kim was not acting on his own behalf, but as an agent. Another pointed out that he was evidently dealing with a man who was a thief at heart. All agreed that Kim had the right to go to the authorities and ask for an eviction order. Kim asked for a show of hands and all voted that he had the right to proceed legally. Elder Kim concluded, Thank you, fathers and brethren, for the way you have considered my problem. Before I sit down, I wish to draw one conclusion. 1,900 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ came down from heaven to purchase for himself a dwelling place. Then, striking his hand upon his breast, he continued, He brought this old shack. It was a run-down, it was in run-down condition. It was in a bad neighbourhood. He brought me, he bought me because he wanted to take possession and dwell in my heart. He gave himself for me. He gave me the Holy Spirit as a down payment on my inheritance, bringing me innumerable blessings with his redemption. But I cling to my tenement and leave him outside. Now, if you say that I have the right to seek the help of the authorities to evict the man who is occupying my friend's house, what shall you and I say of ourselves when we deny the Lord Jesus the full possession of that for which he gave his own life? It's a great illustration, isn't it? It's an illustration of recognising that we no longer live to ourselves. We live to the Lord. We no, no longer live for the sake of observance or for the sake of keeping up appearances for other people. We no longer live that way. That's not our call. That's not our charge. We are to live unto the Lord. We are not to judge those who have, and have, have uh, not kept their appearances in good order. We are not to judge those who come into the church who might look uh, a little dishevelled. You know? We are not to judge those with respect to those things. 
we are to recognise that in every way they need Christ and if they have Christ, they will grow and we give them room to grow. But equally for ourselves, we're not to be keeping up appearances of a godly nature and all that sort of thing if within our heart we haven't even let the Lord in. And all we're doing is keeping up appearances for the outside observance. And like the Bible says, we honour him with our lips, but our heart is far from him. Everything was reconciled in the Lord Jesus Christ. He reconciled us to himself. Now, we're all accounting to Christ. All accounting to Christ. Verse 10 in our passage says, Why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it north thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every tongue, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Romans 14, 10 to 12. Beloved, there will not be a single person on earth who will not give their account to God of all his um, work being done within our lives. And we recognize that we will be giving an account for that work and whether it's been prosperous within us or not. When we look at uh, but this is going to be something that's not just going to be happening to Christians, it's going to happen to all people. Solomon, when he tested this entire theory with regards to the value of life, we see this in, in Ecclesiastes. The entire book is a, oh, what would you refer to it as? It's an it's a experimental testimony. That's how I've got it written down here. It's an experimental testimony. Solomon had sought that he would find out the purpose and the meaning of life. And Solomon had matchless wisdom to do so. And he also had matchless resources to be able to enact it. He was the king. And there was nothing that was left not able for the king to be able to attend to. So he attended to all of those things, whether it was wine or women or, or partying or whether it was building great monuments to himself or building great houses or establishing great gardens and looking to find meaning and purpose in life he did that he did that and in the end there was a conclusion in the last three verses last two verses of chapter 12 the last two verses of the book he says this let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter fear god and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man for god shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing whether it be good or whether it be evil. This judgment comes at the end of life. Paul wrote in Hebrews, and he says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. The weak in faith are not to judge those who are strong, nor are the strong to despise the weak. We are all going to be given an accounting of our own selves to Christ for those things that we bear our own responsibility for. And this is one of the things that's clear in the text. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You'd almost see that this is a repetition. This is something that is there between that passage of Romans and also Ecclesiastes. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, 
according to that he hath, he hath done, whether it be good or bad. This is the same judgment seat. The same judgment seat that's spoken about in the book of Romans. It's the same one and we are all to give an account there. This is a judgment seat for Christians. These are all those who are born again. These are all those who are actually saved. This is the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a curious one because what we recognize with regards to the scripture teaching is that this is a judgment seat that will judge for a gain or a loss of reward, not punishment. And I haven't got time to go into all of that here, but recognizing that it is a distinctive judgment seat for those who are born again, those who are Christians. Though every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess to God, there are two separate judgments in the Bible. One is the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is found here in Romans and Corinthians, and the other is the great white throne judgment. And this is found in Revelation 20, verse 11. This is that judgment that is for the lost. This is those who are, who are damned. These are those who will be awaiting their judgment that are in hell and that they will be brought to this judgment and then cast into outer darkness and the lake of fire. And that's for all eternity. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. A couple of weeks ago, we ended our consideration of Romans 13 with a desire for a conscious conscience. Yeah, that's it. A conscious conscience. A conscience that is awakened and not remaining asleep. A conscience that would be indeed awake and that knowing that the time that is now high time to awake out of sleep, for now it is our salvation nearer than when we believed. In this day of Romans 14, 11 to 12, it would seem that our conscience here is going to be fully awake. It's going to be fully awake and it is going to be perfectly informed. And within it, there are several pieces of good news. Several pieces of good news are found within this. The good news is that you will never need to give an account for the sins of another person. That's the good news. You are only ever going to give an account of your own sins. Romans 14.4 says, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. You recognize that there? So he gives his own personal account for his own sins before God. Ezekiel 18.20 makes it perfectly clear. It says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The Son shall not bear the iniquity of the Father, neither shall the Father bear the iniquity of the Son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. We would all look at that and think that is perfectly fair enough and reasonable, don't you think? I think that's perfectly reasonable. The other bit of good news is that in that day, you will be able to give an account for yourself to God. You get that opportunity. You get that opportunity to give an account of yourself to God. Now, um, how that accounting is going to go is going to depend, depend upon how you have reconciled your life during your life, how you have reconciled your life to the Lord during your life. The Bible continually talks about our, our own sin before a holy God. 
And it continues to talk about our confession of our sins to the Lord. And that which is loosed here on earth will be loosed in heaven, but that which is bound here on earth will be bound in heaven. There's this interesting picture that we get that we need to be confessing our sin, especially the things that the Lord would bring up within our hearts and minds. This is one of the things about examining ourselves and doing so every day. And it's not, it's not, it's not a purging thing. This is just something that we're desiring to do before the Lord because we're going to be giving an account. Now, I tried to look in the Bible for an account. So I tried to look in the Bible to find out if there's anybody that gave an account to God and how that account went, you know, and uh, struggled, struggled trying to find one. I did find one. It doesn't look like it went all that well, but I did find it, you know, um, and uh, it begins first with God and it's, and it's in Job 38. And uh, I won't read the whole thing, obviously, but I'll just because he's, he, God goes on for four chapters. But this is how the account begins. And it would not surprise me if some of our account would begin in a similar way. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundation of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath searched, the, who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut up the sea with doors when it brake forth, as if it had issued out of the womb? When I made the cloud the garment thereof, and thick darkness the swaddling band for it, and break up for it my decreed place, and set bars and doors, and said, Hitherto shalt thou come, but no further, and here shall thy proud waves be stayed. God goes on. He goes on for several chapters in a monologue that would stop every mouth on earth, especially when we consider that Job was accounted by God perfect and upright perfect and upright in the mind of God and that there is none like him in all the earth, Job 1.8. This is God's own testimony of Job as he's speaking to Satan himself. Now, do you expect your appointment with the Lord to go this good? Question we need to be asking ourselves. Well, Job finally responded in the end and this is the response that we all should have. Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not, things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job 42, 1-6. And most of you who know the account of Job know that the Lord blessed him twice as much with everything that he had before. He was known as the greatest man in the East. He was the wealthiest and obviously also the most godly. He was a perfect and an upright man. Yet that was God's account of him. How's yours going to go? Most wonderful news of all is that we each 
have an opportunity to restart our lives to the Lord at any time. That's a wonderful blessing. That's probably one of the most wonderful joys of all. When we go, you understand that when we go before the Lord on our knees in prayer, we reset our lives before him. We completely have that opportunity to start again. When we confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, we, look, our slate is wiped clean before God, okay? When the Lord sees us, when God sees us, he sees Christ. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So our sins are not going to be there accounted of. But I want you to recognize something and understand, and that is we also have a command in Scripture, a command in Scripture to be living our lives for the Lord. And I believe it's that which we are going to be given an account for. We are going to be given an account not so much necessarily for our sin, but for our work in the Lord. The problem with our sin, however, is that our sin prevents us from doing the work in the Lord. And that's why we need to confess it and bring it before the Lord, that we might grow. We might grow in the knowledge and the love of Christ and that we might be willing to share that love to other people. Our sin restrains us. You guys know what it's like. I know what it's like. You know, I don't ever want to look at people when I struggle with sin. So this is something that we go to the Lord for and we can restart our lives again and again. The judgment of others is a great single reflection of our own assessment of our own lives. And this was true also of Job's friends. Uh, when it comes to doubtful disputations, they had a lot of them, right? And God will deal with them and God dealt with them in the book of Job. But one of the things that we see that's consistent in here for blessings, we see Job repented in dust and ashes and received wonderful blessing for the Lord. David is seen with a broken and a contrite heart, a broken spirit before the Lord. Peter fell before Christ saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Each of these men received of God great reward. Why? Because they humbled themselves before God and he exalted them before men. God set them up an example of the heart of men who were seen as just before God because they agreed that God's ways are holy and that God's ways are just and God's ways are good. And they understood that the wages of sin is death. We will all give our accounting to Christ. We will answer for ourselves. There's no group blame, okay? And nor is your sin diluted by the sins of others. And how many of you have heard that when you're sharing the gospel of Christ to somebody else and you speak about the sin and they've done this or done that and they would say, yeah, but everybody's done that, you know? But everyone's, everyone's sinned, you know? Well, that's great, but your sin is not diluted because everybody else has sinned. You're going to be giving an account for your own life. You're going to be giving an account for your own decisions. Now, mark this. Mark this. Really important because your vote during a meeting is yours to bear. If you put your hand up agreeing to an immoral act or something that is not right, you bear the consequences to that. Lawmakers who cast their ballot along party lines will give their own personal account for that which comes after. Okay? 
You give a personal account. Every vote is a conscience vote. Every vote is a conscience vote. It's amazing how people sit there thinking that, oh, yeah, we're allowing a conscience vote. No, no, every vote is a conscience vote. We all vote according to that which was committed to within our lives. Your sins will not be put away simply because it was diluted amongst a whole bunch of members. It's exactly the same thing within a church. Are you willing to stand alone? Are you willing to be the sole person to put up your hand against a particular idea? It's vitally important, beloved, because we've got a world today that's voting along party lines or voting in order to keep their jobs or, or using a particular bent with regards to what they're televising in order to make sure that you know, they keep their jobs. Media personnel who deliberately obscure the truth of the matter to keep their jobs will give an account for their dissimulation. They will. Individually. Police who act according to their employer's demands and against the oath that they swore to protect or the law of the Lord, they will also give their account to God. It was during the Nuremberg trials after the Second World War that it was made evident that following orders, following orders was not seen as a sufficient excuse to commit the atrocities undertaken by each of the Nazi soldiers individually. They had to give an account. Now, that was before men. That was before men. Some gave their account before man, but none will escape their account before God. So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Personal accountability is seen in this passage. This is something that we need to take on board. Last point this morning is upholding one another. Upholding one another. We see that in verse 13. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. This um, verse sees our consideration through to the end of the chapter. It continues on in this particular theme right through to the end. There's one consistent theme that, yeah, it can potentially be broken up into a whole bunch of subtopics, but it's really difficult to maintain those uh, subtopics and not deviate from what the subject is. This is one of the reasons why I found it a little bit hard to break up chapter 14 into more than a couple of sermons. I could, but essentially it's sort of talking about one thing as a whole, you know what I mean? Um, and that's that's one of the challenges that I had with it. We have to take care of our brethren that we're not tripping them up. So we need to be careful with regards to that. We recognize that we are born by the Spirit of God, that we are reconciled in Him, and that each one of us are also going to be given. So nothing can take that away. Nothing can take that away. We have our hope in Christ, whether we eat, whether we drink, whether we don't eat, don't drink, whatever we do. We are reconciled in Christ. It's all done. And on the other hand, we also know that we are all individually going to be given an account before God. Okay, Therefore, in the midst of this, we are not to put a stumbling block in our brother's way or our sister's way. We are not to deliberately provoke certain things that they may have an offence of. In other words, those who are seen as having a weak conscience, we need to be careful not to offend them. What does this say? This means, beloved, 
We are not to be thinking of ourselves. We are, ha- are to have our minds constantly on other people. Our mind is always on somebody else, how they are going to be, how they are going to feel. How would they respond to a certain thing? That's what our charge is. Our charge is not to do things selfishly that suits our own selves and therefore offend other people. Now, this can extend into everything. Okay, this can extend into everything. Let's talk about um, mum puts on a dinner party. Okay, and, um, and people decide that they're going to rock up late, you know, for the dinner party when everything's worked out on time. There's, and a bunch of them have done that. They don't mind. That's all, it's all good. That's probably a poor example, but it's, it's worth thinking about. Not thinking about mum in all the things that she's actually had to put together to get everything just right for just the right time. Uh, on the other side of that, they turn up half an hour too early <laughs> and, and everything's a mess and still in the midst of getting something done. There's got to be concern and consideration for others, not ourselves. We do things to suit other people, not ourselves. It's the same sort of thing when it comes to church. There's been times when um, you could be in the midst of sharing the gospel, you could be in the midst of preaching the word of God and and people are turning up incredibly late. And there's not a realisation that how much that distracts the, the, the person behind the pulpit, you know what I mean? Or there's all this scuffling or stuff like that going on, or whispering going on and, and everything like that. It, it, it affects the person that's preaching. It t- takes them away from what they're thinking about. You know, Again, these things are one of those things that we're looking at others in love and we've got to be considering them. And that's all of our work. That's what we're all to do. We see this. We see that, that those who may feel like they can eat anything they want to eat, but those who are offended in their eating, and that's just the biblical example that we've got here, those who uh, know that if they eat, they're going to offend a brother, then they should abstain. Can they eat lawfully? Yes, they can eat lawfully. They can eat lawfully, but they should abstain. Why should they abstain? Why should I be judged? Well, you don't need to be judged. Just abstain so you don't offend your brother. You know. But it's also incumbent on the brother not to judge the individual who eats. Okay? The whole point of this is not to offend. And we've got an example here in the, in the Bible. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. This is a synonymous passage to that of Romans 14. But we're going to see some clarifying statements that are given in here to sort of help expand this, uh, this, this thought that Paul is dealing with. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. First Corinthians chapter 8 and have a look at verse, uh, verse 4. I'll take our text from there to 13. As concerning therefore the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things and we in him. And one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge. For some, with conscience of the idol, unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. 
But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which hast knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, Shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish, for whom Christ died. But when we sin so against the brethren, we wound their weak conscience. Ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will, not, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. It's interesting here in this passage, isn't it? Because when the first sermon that I was that I was dealing with at the end, well, the last sermon of chapter thirteen, we were dealing with a conscience that was well, that was asleep, right, and a conscience that needed to be woken up. Here you're dealing with a weak conscience, one that is too awake, too sensitive to everything. Okay, so there is a weak conscience, there's a sleepy conscience, there's a weak conscience, highly sensitive, highly easily easily triggered by almost anything. But the commandment here is on those that are not causing to offend. In other words. If, I'll use the biblical example, okay, because it's the simplest one. If you're sitting there and you know that this particular item has been, anybody ever gone to one of those Thai restaurants and they've got the little little, little statues, the little, the little gods sort of sitting there and there's a little bowl of rice there and there's a, yeah, there's that one there. There's a little bowl of rice there and little foods there and all that sort of stuff. That's what it's talking about. These are foods offered to idols, right? Well, what do they do with that? Well, they throw it out, right? But if they were hungry, they could literally eat it. Why? Because the idol is nothing. It's literally nothing. But, but, if a, if a brother or a sister or somebody would, be, would take offence to that, then don't eat. Don't eat it. Because you're, gonna, you're going to cause them to stumble. You're going to cause them to fall. And it's a real difficulty for them. Interesting, isn't it? It's an interesting consideration. How that plays out for us within our own lives really becomes that where we are to extend grace to people and to give them room to grow. For example... A, a person who was a new Christian, and all of a sudden they come in and they're wearing uh, they're, they're they're wearing clothing that is all raggedy and all that sort of stuff, and you sort of judge them and say, "Well, you're supposed to be a Christian, and look at how you dress. You know, you should be dressed a little bit better than that." Or uh, especially these days, when it comes to women, women wear clothes that are painted on these days. They don't yet have the discernment or necessarily the love of for men to be able to be more discreet in their clothing. Okay. And in that, they are very, very shallow in their faith or lack of concern or consideration. Yet, they can also be terribly offended once... Women really, really get offended when you talk about their clothes, so I'm not, I shouldn't be talking. So I'm not pointing out to anyone, all right? So, uh, but, you know, I'm going to get stuff thrown at me. But, you know, a man certainly can't say to, to a woman, you know, you really need to be a little bit more discreet with what you're wearing. I mean, seriously, you're going to cause other people to offend. Your, the hope that we have is that as they grow and they become sensitive to the Lord and they become sensitive to the love of God and sensitive to the love of under, other people, they will be changed. Everybody will change, whether it's the person coming in with raggedy clothes or the person coming in with painted clothes. You know, it's, 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 it's the same thing. You know, we need to give people room to grow. And room to move on. Uh, people that might have a, uh, you know, a, 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 I don't know, anything. Uh, someone who might have a, a mouth that is yet to be, you know, concerned with regards to the things of the Lord. Yeah, gently 
you know, gently we, we might deal with some of those things. But we are not to judge with regards to, um, you know, their state of heart completely. We are to give people room to grow. Why do I say that? Well, because, you know, I stuff up. And, and when I do that, I need, I need help. You know, I, I, I need grace. Um, it's really, really important. We should not be a stumbling block for a brother or, or a sister in the Lord. Um, you know, because there's a chance that we're going to offend them. And, and this is really, really vital. This is vital to understand. There's a chance that in uh, being a stumbling block to another individual, we're going to cause them to offend. Um, we stated before that, that, that men will give their respective account to the Lord for their sin. Yeah, we already said that. But don't belittle the effect that each one of us have on being the cause of sin in the life of somebody else. Okay, be really, really careful with regards to that. As, as parents, we bear in every way the risk of triggering a cause in our children to sin. And I know you guys will relate to this. They, abiding with us, see our natures when we are at home. All right? They see our natures when we are at home, when our guard is, is down. They see our own struggles. They witness our many shortcomings. That shortcomings that a couple of hours attending church can't witness to any congregation. Isn't it interesting? How you, you, I don't know if it's ever happened to you, probably only just me, but you might bicker and argue with your spouse just before you close the doors to the car, and then after that, it's yeah, walk, say everything's good, everything's happy, straighten your tie. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> so we we we, you know we. We, we can put on those, those things in the church and for a couple of hours we could really look the goods and then we get home. And then we get home. As such, there is more of an opportunity to witness our failures. Our children have more of an opportunity to witness our failures. But, but, rarely is there also seen the witness of repentance from those failures. Got it? Rarely. So like a child that sees their parents arguing but never sees them make up. They look at our, pa our parents and they're always arguing but they don't see them making up. And it's exactly the same when it comes to us. They see the struggle part of the Christian life but it's that struggle part of a Christian life because there's a lack of understanding on their part that they think they, they tune to that as hypocrisy rather than struggle and it affects their own walk. You recognise that? We can understand what goes behind the scenes, okay? They don't see the repentance that actually goes behind that when, when, when we struggle and, we, and we're struggling with the flesh. Be that as it may, we may indeed cause or be the cause of the sin of a child, yet it does not remove from the child the responsibility for the, for the decisions that they've made. They still bear. The parent will give an account for leading a child astray, but a child will give their account for going astray. Make sense? And I'm using the I'm using that familiar account only because that's it's it's an easy one to recognise because we see this in every household. Every Christian household has the same issue. This is the same with with people. 
you may very well be the cause of offence to a brother or a sister in Christ and you will bear the consequences of that sin if you will not repent. But the brother or the, or the sister offended will themselves also give an account for an unrepentant turning away. Turn back to Romans 14. If, you weren't, if you've moved away from there, turn back there. Let's have a look at 13. Verse 13, Romans 14, verse 13. Romans 14, verse 13. Paul here writes again, Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things, for he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. And this is what we are to do. We are to edify one another. We are to uphold one another. We are to lift people up. There's not a single person in our churches who has arrived or is already perfect. Every single one of us are still on our own journey. Um, Paul hadn't arrived or had been already perfect before he was with the Lord. You know, if anybody would have, you would have think he may have, but he wasn't. The greatest blessing that I've seen evident in our own church is the wonderful loving humility that's evident in our congregation. And that's a real joy to see. It's a real joy. In 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 our church, this is Hope Baptist Church in Sunbury, Victoria. Our church. Can't speak to anybody else's. But what I see in our church is a congregation that isn't ignorant to its own shortcomings. You know, uh, this is a congregation that is not ignorant to our own shortcomings and therefore is also very quick to forgive offences. Uh, we, we have a church that is happy to let certain offences go through to the keeper, you know, because we have that, well, I guess we have that right not to take offence to certain things because we're all bound to offend one another at one point or, or another. So... But it's this beautiful blessing of people who know that they are still growing in the Lord, that still have their own struggles. And there's no pretension, not that I see. I don't see any pretension within our church. So it gives everybody room to grow. And this is the blessing that I see. I see people having room to grow. I see people who may have backs, uh, who have backslided and returned and they have that wonderful ability to be able to do so. I, and, and that's going to continue to happen within our church from time to time. And it's a blessing to be able to always embrace a brother or a sister, regardless of their shortcomings. Our hope is for Christ to be doing a work within their lives. When a congregation knows that it has been saved by the grace of God, forgiven by the grace of God and preserved by the grace of God, then it seems evident that that grace is also that which edifies one another. The world today is filled with those set to divide against one another. They're asleep to their own sin. 
They're willfully ignorant of their own errors and they fight and devour one another. This is Satan's work. He is a divider and his effort is to divide and then conquer and he's doing an amazing job in the world today. Those who are of the family of the Lord reconciled through the blood of the Lord for their forgiveness of their own sins, they love one another. They're patient. They're not easily provoked. They are not easily offended. They forgive one another and never, ever put a stumbling block to offend another, but uphold one another. Let's close with these last verses. It summarizes well this sermon. Hebrews 10, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Have a look there with me. Three verses we'll read and we'll say amen. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. Let's continue to uphold, bless one another and strengthen each other in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, especially as we see the day approaching. Maranatha, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, dear God, we give you thanks. We thank you for the word of the living God. We thank you, dear Lord, for its wonderful truths. We pray, dear Father, you continue to be with us and bless us. Strengthen us in the knowledge of Christ. And help us to glorify you. Help us to be a blessing one to another. To uphold each other in faith and in the love of Christ. As those who have been reconciled to God through Christ. As those, dear Father, who need to give an account. And as those, dear Lord, also, Father, who are there to edify and to live for each other. I praise you, dear Lord, for this time. And thank you for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.